Morning, family. How's everyone doing today? Man, beautiful weather we're having. It's like this. If you're visiting, it's like this all year. It's just like today. Uh, today, we are talking about uh, communion. And so if you haven't gotten one already, they are located on these tables right here in the back. Uh, so if you haven't, feel free to just, just pop up and, and go grab one real quick. Because I actually want you to just kind of take this out. Like if you have it, just kind of take it, just kind of hold it in your hand. If you want to, you can do that little crinkly sound. It's always fun if you fidget like I do. And uh, so we're, ta- we're, we're talking about communion today. And I want to um, ask a question that I want you to think about as we get started talking about this. And the question is this, ready? I want you to think about this. If you knew that you were going to die tomorrow, what would you do today? So if you knew that you were going to die tomorrow on a Monday, how would you spend the rest of your Sunday today? Where would you go? Who would you be with? What would you be doing? As I thought about that question and I thought about my life, I thought, you know, I would be probably spending as much time with my intimate, close family as I possibly could. I would, um, you know, I have four kids, ages five and under, and so I would be playing one more game of tag in the yard, try to laugh as much as possible, sit on the couch and read some books, as clo- you know, all bunched up as close as we possibly could be. I'd, I'd want to share one final family meal around the dinner table. What would we eat? I don't know. What would you do? What would you eat? Would you eat? Would you be able to eat? When Jesus was here and he was uh, finishing up his earthly ministry, his earthly life here he, as he entered into that last week and said, today is Palm Sunday, okay? This is traditionally how we celebrate the beginning of the end of, of Jesus's ministry, his life here on earth. And so today is the day that traditionally uh, we, uh, Jesus enters into Jerusalem. And then at the end of the week, uh, he is crucified. And then next Sunday is Easter Sunday. We celebrate the fact that he rose again. And so uh, today as we talk about communion, we're going to be talking about how Jesus... The day before he knew he was going to die, one of the last things that he did was he shared a meal with his friends. He shared a meal with his disciples, the the men who had been with him uh, in the most intimate way over the last uh, several years over his with his ministry that he had been pouring into these young men, these leaders that would uh, end up being the leaders of the church. As a man himself, he wanted to spend one last night with his buddies, his students, eating a good meal together. But he also wanted to do something that they would remember. Like I said, my kids are five and younger, so I don't know how much they would remember about my last day with them if I knew that was going to be my last day, but I would want to tell them the truths that I want them to carry the rest of their lives. I would want to tell them that I love them. 
I would want to tell them that no matter what happens in your life, good or bad, God is good and he loves you and you can trust him. And I would want to tell them that it doesn't end this way. I'm just going ahead of y'all. I'll, I'll see you soon. Jesus shared one last meal with his disciples and he wanted them to remember his words and remember what was about to happen. And the different gospel accounts share different details about the supper and John shares the most. And in the gospel of John, it's just, it's just pages and pages of Jesus sharing these truths and praying over his disciples and praying over the church, us. But he wanted to have one last meal with his friends and we call it the Last Supper. We call it the Lord's Supper. Uh, we call it communion. And, and as a church, we celebrate that every time we gather together because Jesus wanted us to remember what was about to happen. But here's the thing about communion, okay? Now, it, and like, again, just if you have it, just hold it, hold it up and kind of look at it for a minute, okay? Uh, this is how we, we partake communion here. Some churches do it differently. But if you're new to church or new to Jesus, and, and maybe this is your first time in a church, I don't know, uh, communion can be kind of weird if you think about it, okay? Now, go with me here. I'm, I'm not trying to be disrespectful or irreverent, but communion, if you stop and think about it, especially if you're new to it, it can be kind of, kind of weird, all right, so this guy gets up on stage. He tells you to peel this crinkly thing off and then take off this... Um, bread. And then um, he tells you to get, you know, get the juice ready. He tells you that, that uh, to be quiet for a minute or so. Okay. So be quiet. And then he tells you, this is the body of Jesus. And then he tells you that this is the, bl the blood of Jesus. And then we pray. I mean, if, if you're new to it, that does that not sound a little strange? And maybe even if you're not to it, if you're not new to it, maybe you've been doing this for years and you still think it's kind of kind of strange. Well, what I want to do today is I want to walk through a little bit of, of what we're doing, why we're doing it, why Jesus had us do this, had his disciples do this. And if you've been doing this for years, like I have, hopefully this kind of puts things into some new perspective, or maybe it's some good reminders. And if you've been, uh, this is your first time, maybe this puts it into perspective as well, as well, and maybe we'll make it seem not so strange, but instead carry all the meaning in the world, which it does. So we're going to look at one of the accounts of the Last Supper, the Lord's Supper in the Gospels. We're going to be in the Gospel of Luke. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and pull those out. And um, there's one, there's a Bible in the seat back in front of you if you want to follow along with me. It's the same version. I don't know what page yours would be on. Mine is on page 804. But it'll also be on the screen too in case you don't want to do any of that. So we're going to be in Luke chapter 22, verse 7. And so we're going to read through this. We're going to pull, stop and pull some things out. This is going to be part history lesson, part application, but it's all going to be uh, really good, I hope. It'll be good. No, we're good. All right, here we go. Starting in verse 7, we, we, we read this. Now, the festival of unleavened bread. Okay, remember that. Okay, this is the festival of unleavened bread. We'll talk about that in a second. The festival of unleavened bread arrived when the Passover lamb is sacrificed. 
Okay, Jesus sent Peter and John ahead and, and said, go and prepare the Passover meal so we can eat it together. Where do you want us to prepare it? They asked him. He replied, as soon as you enter Jerusalem, a man carrying a pitcher of water will meet you. Follow him. And at the house he enters, say to the owner, the teacher asks, where's the guest room where I can eat the Passover meal with my disciples? He will take you upstairs to a large room that is already set up. And that is where you should prepare our meal. So they went off to the city and found everything just as Jesus had said, and they prepared the Passover meal there. All right, so I want to stop for a second and talk about what the Passover is, okay? Back in the, the nation of Israel, okay, back in their history, uh, there was a time where they were enslaved in Egypt. For 400 years, the nation of Israel was subjected to just manual labor and, and just slavery. And so they cried out to God, deliver us, save us, send a shepherd to shepherd us, just send us a redeemer, deliver us from this uh, just, just unrelenting oppression, and God did. He sent Moses, after 400 years, he sent Moses to go take the people and deliver them from Egypt. And so in order to uh, convince Pharaoh that, that Moses was sent by God, God sent 10 plagues on, onto Egypt. And the last one was the worst, the death of the firstborn son, where the angel of death would come and take away the firstborn. But God told his people through Moses, he said, Take the blood of a lamb, take, take a lamb, kill it, and take its blood and brush it over the doorpost of your home. And when the angel of death comes, he will see the blood that was shed and pass over you and you will be spared. You fast forward, okay? The Israelites come out of Egypt, they're saved, they eventually go into the promised land. Just this great victory of God's deliverance, that's what they're celebrating. And ever since that time, the Israelites had been celebrating the Passover, that God delivered them from death and delivered them from oppression. But we get to this moment, okay? The disciples are, are with Jesus and they're getting ready to go share this Passover meal and it's bittersweet. Why? Because here they are celebrating deliverance from the oppression of Egypt. And while they're doing that, they are suffering under the oppression of the Roman Empire. So in their minds, they're thinking, yes, I, I, I want to celebrate this, but, but Lord, like it's happening again. We, we are oppressed by another nation. What is going on? Please send us a Messiah to deliver us. And everyone, including the disciples, believed that Jesus was the Messiah, but they believed the Messiah to come would be someone who would deliver them in a military way, deliver them from, from the oppression of Rome. But you and I know, and the disciples eventually understood this, that Jesus, the Messiah, didn't come to deliver us from oppression physically, from a nation he came to deliver us from the oppression of sin and death. And as he will say here, Jesus, as they celebrate the Passover, Jesus is the new lamb, the perfect spotless lamb that is sacrificed. And because of his blood, death passes over us and we are spared and delivered. 
See, after the Passover happened in Egypt, God was going to establish a new law and a sacrificial system for the Israelites because the, the penalty of sin is death. If you sin, your penalty, your consequence was death. And so what the nation did, what God did was he established this sacrificial system where they would sacrifice a spotless lamb and different other types of animals for different types of uh, offenses committed. But if you sinned, the priest would sacrifice a lamb and that sacrifice, that death would pay and cover your sins for a time. And what Jesus is getting ready to tell his disciples is that I am that perfect spotless lamb that God the Father came down, took on flesh, lived a perfect sinless life and was about to die and shed his blood so that through his blood, we could be spared, not just once, but for all sins, past, present, and future. One sacrifice to take over all of them. And so that's what the Passover is. And that's what Jesus is getting ready to tell his disciples is about to happen. All right, so in verse 14, we read this. So when the time came, Jesus and the apostles sat down together at the table. And Jesus said, I have been very eager to eat this Passover meal with you before my suffering begins. Jesus knows what's about to happen. And what does he decide to do? Shares one last meal with his friends. For I tell you now that I won't eat this meal again until its meaning is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And then he took a cup of wine and gave thanks to God for it. And he said, take this and share it among yourselves. For I will not drink wine again until the kingdom of God has come. So there's two things that happen here, okay? Jesus is, is recognizing the reality and the gravity of two very important things. One, I'm about to die. And it's going gonna, it's gonna to feel and it's going to get really bad. But the other truth is that it doesn't end that way. I'm going to come back and I'm going to share this meal again, renewed with you in heaven. It doesn't end this way. Uh, my wife, Hannah, her grandfather, uh, we celebrated his 90th birthday yesterday. And, uh, so we had all the, the family come in and it was kind of like a birthday, kind of like a, a family reunion. Well, her grandfather has been in and out of the hospital and unfortunately was in the hospital yesterday and wasn't even able to make it to the party at the church that we were having. Everyone is sensing that his time is near. But what were we doing at that party? We were sad, but we were joyful. We were celebrating. You know what we were doing at that party? We were eating spaghetti and cake. Because that's what you do at, a, at, at stuff like that, right? What is it about funerals, right? If we're, if we're doing a funeral, especially if that person was a believer and we know that they're with Jesus, it's sad, but we have this hope because we know that it doesn't end this way. So please pass the fried chicken. Death is coming, but it doesn't end this way. 
and Jesus is sharing one final meal. And he wants them to, to know and understand that it's not going to end here. Like this meal, okay, this bread and this, this cup, we're going to share a meal together like us. Like I'm talking to us now. We're going to share a meal together. Like they call it the great messianic banquet, okay? At the end of everything, at the end of all time, when Jesus finally comes back and takes us home with him, we're all going to gather together at one really, really big, long table, Okay, and the disciples are probably going to be sitting a couple miles down that way with Jesus. I'm probably going to be like waving like, hey, I made it. I'm here. Pass the fried chicken. It's going to be more than this. This is but a shadow of what is to come. The meal that we are going to be able to share together with the believers who have gone on ahead of us this life, this body, this, ga- this, this gathering, this is but a shadow of what is to come. And Jesus' sacrifice, his death on the cross, his resurrection is what makes that a reality for us. That it doesn't end this way. Because if we're not careful, we can get really distracted, can't we? We can get distracted by the worries of this life. We can get distracted by finances. We can get distracted by work. We can get distracted by uh, a lack of finances. We can get distracted by uh, our health issues. We can get distracted by death, the death of a loved one, death of a child, a spouse, a parent, a family member, a friend. We can get distracted by uh, the death that we see all around in in, in the world, on the news. We, We can get distracted and we can lose sight of what's true, that it doesn't end this way, that we're gonna share a meal together with the lamb who was slain, but who rose again victorious. That's what our hope is in. And that's what Jesus is trying to get us to, to understand So he took some bread, gave thanks to God for it, and then broke it into pieces and gave it to his disciples saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. I want you to picture Jesus there. Just, he's, he's sitting at the, at the table and he, he's holding this piece of bread up. Okay. Now Hannah is a baker and she makes this sourdough bread that as soon as it comes out of the oven, like I can't, you can't wait for it to cool off. You have to have some now. It's one of those things where you, you're like, thank you, Lord, for taste buds. Like, and you just, but one of the things we love to do is we love to just like, instead of like cutting it nice and neat, like we just like to rip a hunk off of it. Okay. And with that sourdough bread, like you've got to really like, you've got to like get, like you've got to have some strength in your hands. Right. So you got to really break it and rip it off. Picture Jesus at the table and he's holding up this piece of bread and he says, this is my body. And he breaks it and he has, and he rips it. And he says, this is my body broken for you. Because that's what was about to happen. His body was about to be broken and ripped for you, for me. He says, eat this, do this in remembrance 
of me. And then after supper, he took another cup of wine and said, this cup is the new covenant. Okay, the new covenant, the new promise, the new agreement between God and his people. The new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood, which is poured out as a sacrifice for you. Just picture Jesus on that day being whipped and beaten, carrying that cross, being hung on the cross, and his blood just flowing freely, being poured out, the blood of the lamb for us. If you think about it, it still sounds kind of weird though, doesn't it? Eat my body, drink my blood. And so I want to go over a passage where uh, the gospel of John, John, uh, the gospel writer, kind of talks, kind of captures a, a, a moment where Jesus is teaching about this concept. Okay, because it's, okay, this is Jesus' blood, uh, body, this is his, his blood. What does that mean? Okay, that still sounds kind of strange. All right, so in John chapter 6, we read this, this moment, this picture of Jesus' ministry. Now, what has happened right before this time is Jesus has just gotten done feeding the 5,000, okay? And the people are coming to him and they say, hey, Jesus, you got any more of that bread that you just multiplied and gave to all of us? Like, you got any more? Give us a sign. And so Jesus is saying, hey, you, you want that bread, but let me, tell you about, let me tell you about a different kind of bread. And this is what he says. John chapter 6 and verse 47. He says, I tell you the truth. Anyone who believes has eternal life. Yes, I am the bread of life. What are you talking about, Jesus? He says, your ancestors ate manna in the wilderness, but they all died. Okay, when the Israelites came out of Egypt, they were wandering in the desert and God provided manna from heaven, which is they gathered together and made into like a type of bread. But Jesus is saying, like, they ate that. God provided that from heaven. They ate that. They still died. Anyone who eats the bread from heaven, he's talking about himself here, however, will never die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Anyone who eats this bread will live forever. And this bread, which I will offer so the world may live, is my flesh. All right, I was going with you for a minute, Jesus, but then you lost me again. Still kind of weird, right? Eat my flesh. And so it was, it was weird back then too, okay? This is what we read, right? They, they're starting to argue about this. The people began arguing with each other about what he meant. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? They asked, this is weird. You're not alone if you think it's strange. So Jesus again said, okay, he's going to say the, basically the same thing, Maybe a little bit different. See if you can catch what he's saying. So Jesus said again, I tell you the truth. Unless you eat the flesh of the son of man and drink his blood, you cannot have eternal life. Anybody? Nah? No? Okay, let's keep going. All right. But anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise that person at the last day. For here, here it is. Okay, you ready? For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. 
Anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in him. I live because of the the living father who sent me. In the same way, anyone who feeds on me will live because of me. I am the true bread that came down from heaven. Anyone who eats this bread will not die as your ancestors did, even though they ate the manna, but will live forever. When we eat bread, what happens? We take it, we break it, we eat it. It comes inside of us. It becomes a part of us. It strengthens our our body. It, It fuels us. Like literally, it becomes a part of us and everything we do for a time until we have to eat it again. What Jesus is saying is this, consume me. Take me and let me come inside of you and be a part of you. Let me fill you up and sustain you. Let me be the one that sustains you and fuels you and strengthens you and lets you live truly forever. If you take me and let me be a part of you, if you consume me, if you drink of me, you will never hunger or thirst again. You will live with me forever. Would he say, I remain in him? When we take of Jesus, when we consume him, where he is a part of our life and, and, and he is in us and we are in him. We live with him forever and it doesn't have to end this way. So that's what's happening when we gather together, when we take, when we say that this is the bread, this is the body of Jesus, this is the cup, this is his blood. What, what we're doing is we're remembering we're remembering the sacrifice that he, that he made for us, how his body was broken, how his blood was, was poured out so that it doesn't have to end this way, so that we don't have to forget when we're distracted by the worries of life or when we see death all around, so that we don't have to be afraid. We remember that we are in him and that he is in us, and we celebrate what he did for us on the cross. Now, Paul, in the book of 1 Corinthians, his letter to the Corinthian church, he talks about communion, but he also issues a bit of a warning because he wants to make sure the church is treating this this act with the proper respect that it deserves because the Lord's Supper and doing that together as a church is important. Here's what Paul says in the, his letter to Corinth. Okay, this is 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And in this part, okay, Paul is, is giving instructions about the Lord's Supper. And he's talking about how the, Corinth, the church at Corinth has kind of been abusing this, this meal together. Some have been drinking too much wine and been getting a little tipsy. Some have, been, have not been waiting for everyone to arrive and they've been taking one more piece of bread and one more piece and they end up being full and there's not enough for everyone to share. They're kind of just stomping on the Lord's Supper. And so Paul gives uh, some rebukes and some instructions, but here's what Paul says and here's his, his warning for us as well. 
In verse 26, he says, For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. In other words, when we do this together, we're saying uh, basically the same thing that we do every Sunday. We're saying Christ has is, is died, Christ has risen, Christ is coming again. We're celebrating what he has done and looking with hope to his coming again. So here's what Paul says. Because this is so meaningful and so important to our faith, he says, so anyone who eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord unworthily, it's a fun word to say, is guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. That is why you should examine yourself before, you, before eating the bread and drinking the cup. For if you eat the bread and drink the cup without honoring the body of Christ, you are eating and drinking God's judgment upon yourself. I'm not sure all of what God's judgment upon ourselves entails, but I don't want to find out. I just want to do it the right way and make sure I'm treating it with the proper respect. So what does it mean to, to partake of the Lord's Supper unworthily? Well, if you take of the Lord's Supper, but you're living flippantly to a life of sin, like a life of sin, like maybe you're living in sin, or or uh, you're continuing to just give into it without even struggling, and and you just are, are living in it. If you're not that, that's one way. If if you're not a believer, like if you don't have your faith and trust in Jesus, uh, if you're not haven't been baptized, that's another way to t to partake unworthily, or just maybe forgetting. You take communion, you're just going through the motions. You're not taking some time to stop and think and remember what Christ has done for you and to celebrate that. Paul is issuing this warning because of how important it is. He doesn't want us to show disrespect. There is a cemetery in Virginia, uh, Arlington Cemetery, where there's the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier. Anybody ever heard of the, the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier? Um, so the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier houses three unidentified soldiers from World War I, World War II, and I believe it's the Korean War. But no one knows who they are. But this tomb is under guard 24-7, 365 days a year. Every single day, every moment is being guarded by a patrolman. Doesn't matter what the weather is. If it's hot, cold, snowing, they take meticulous, precise measures to guard and protect this tomb. Okay, there's the changing of the guard, which is about 10 minutes long, where uh, the, the person uh, who is guarding the tomb is relieved of their duty. And so it's about a 10-minute process for this to take place. There's an inspection, making sure that the uniform and the rifle and everything is in order before this guard takes place and begins his shift to guard, and they march his paces back and forth. Now, if you show disrespect at this tomb, if you are too loud, or if you step over that chain in the area where you're not supposed to, that guard will stop what he's doing. He will face you and yell directly at you, commanding you to remain silent, 
If you've crossed the border, he will command you to remain and get back behind the chains. And if you don't move or, or don't do what they tell you to do, he'll even put a round in the chamber. I know that sounds dramatic and intense, but why do they do that? Because it's important. They do that not necessarily because of the bodies in the tombs. They do that because of the meaning of the sacrifice that was made, the lives that were laid down for their country. The plaque above the tomb says, here lies a a soldier, an American soldier known but to God. No one knows who's, who's there, but God does. As I was thinking about that concept, I was thinking about Jesus and the sacrifice that he made and how lonely he must have felt. After having this meal with his friends, he goes out to pray and his friends fall asleep on him. Short time later, another one of his friends, another one of his disciples comes and actually hands him over to the guards, betrays him with a kiss. He's being accused and judged and hit and beaten. And then he's crucified. I imagine how alone he must have felt. Even to the point where he was not known but to God. You see, in order for him to take on the sins of the world, your sin, my sin, and the sins of everyone who would come, he had to be separated from God the Father. He was forsaken by God the Father because he took on the sins of the world. So not only did he die a lonely death, but he wasn't even known but to God. You and I cannot fathom, like we, we, you, you, there's no words to describe what it's like to be in God's absence. Because even if you're not a believer, if you're in this life, you're in God's presence all around. We cannot fathom what that is like, and I don't want to. Jesus experienced that for you and for me. That's why Paul writes what he says because it's important, not because we're honoring a body in a tomb, because that tomb is empty, but because we're honoring the sacrifice that was made. When we partake in communion together, that's what we're doing. We're remembering, we're honoring. So I wanted to give us an opportunity to uh, take communion together. And that's what we're gonna do right now. So um, if you have your elements, Go ahead and get those ready. Peel the, the, the film off. And one other question you might be wondering is, okay, if it's that important, why do we do it this way? This is just a logistical thing. There are lots happened since COVID and this is just for logistics. Eventually we're all going to sit together at one big table and have this meal together in heaven. But what I want us to do, okay, and this is the reason why we give uh, a moment of silence, okay? There's two things we need to do when we take communion. We need to remember, okay, remember Christ's sacrifice and what he did for us. 
remember that because of what he did, it doesn't end this way. No matter what you're experiencing, no matter what you're feeling, no matter what trial or hardship you're experiencing, however great or small, because of what Jesus did, we remember that it doesn't end this way. And that fills us with hope and joy and strength. So we remember. The second thing that we do during this time is we examine. Look inward. Look at your heart. Look at the decisions you've been making. Look at the thoughts you've been thinking. Look at the feelings that you've been feeling. Is there anything there that's keeping you from truly worshiping God the Father and truly worship, worshiping and submitting to the Lordship of Christ? If so, give it to him. If so, repent and come back to the Father. So uh, in just a moment, there's going to be some words on the screen. We're gonna, I want you to take just, just some time to be silent. And, and that's the other thing is maybe this is the only time in your whole week where it's actually quiet and you can think. Or it's the first time you've actually sat down and gone. So take a few moments, just right where you are uh, and, and think and pray. There's going to be some words on the screen. And then I'll come back and we will take this meal together as a church family. So go do that, and I'll be right back. If you would, go ahead and stand with me. I'm going to read this passage from 1 Corinthians. Okay, I'm going to read this, and then we're going to say some truths together, and then we're going to partake of this meal together. This is from 1 Corinthians. This is part of what we read earlier. For I passed on to you what I received from the Lord himself. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and said, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. Now we say these three phrases, and if you've been here before, you've, you've this is familiar to you, but I want you to look at those phrases, okay? Christ has died, okay? He died for us. Think about what that means. Christ is risen, okay? He, he, he didn't stay there. It didn't, doesn't end this way. He rose again, conquering sin and conquering death. And Christ will come again to take us home with him. That brings us hope and joy. So together, as, as one church, as one voice, let's say these phrases. Here we go. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. You can be seated and let's take this together. This is the bread. This is the body of Jesus that was given for us. Let's take this together in remembrance of him. This is the cup of the new covenant, his blood. Let's take this in remembrance of him. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for your son. We thank you that you sent him, Lord, that he was willing to uh, leave his seat in heaven and come down and, and live uh, a life on this earth and and be limited in, in human form, but Lord, also living a sin, sinless life. And Lord, we know his life wasn't taken. We know he laid down his life for us. 
Lord, we thank you that because of what he has done, we have hope and joy knowing that it doesn't end this way. Knowing that there's uh, heaven waiting for us, Lord. I pray, Lord, that you'd help us to live like it. Like we know what's waiting for us, Lord. We thank you for your son. We thank you for his sacrifice. And we thank you for the hope that it brings us. We pray this in Jesus' name.